What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And it's Sean. We're back, baby. Come back. Sorry for the two-week hiatus. I was trying to grow out a beard and thought it'd be a really good uh, reveal party if I had something to show. Yeah, I've been working like a... Getting the shit hammered out of me the last couple weeks, so I haven't had time off. But as always, um, this week's episode is brought to you guys with Paragon Recovery. I've been hitting up more so now, especially with the residency going pretty strong. Make sure I get a good night's sleep and staying, uh, keep my anti-inflammatory, my inflammatory system down, keep my stress level modulated. So use the code CRONUS for 15% off or hit them, if you're military or first responder, hit them up directly for an additional discount. But yeah. Dude, how, how busy have you been? Because it's like every time I'm talking to you, it's you're at the hospital getting ready for surgery, prep for surgery. I watch a bunch of videos about like surgeons washing their hands over and over again, and I think of you every single time. Uh-huh. What's it been like now that you're you're Doctor Zhang? You're the you're the surgeon up there at Lewis. I wouldn't say I'm the surgeon, but I am a. Sur- you're the surgeon. Cronus Fit certified surgeon. The, the surgeon. Oh, funny story about that. I was uh, one of the med students uh, that came here. One of the fourth year rotating med students was asking me if I was involved with Cronus because apparently one of the surgery residents in El Paso does Cronus fits So shout out to whoever you are. I appreciate the, the, the love down in El Paso. That's awesome. I, I, another side note, uh, I went and I saw Jimmy this last weekend. Um, he's at the old guard and we were talking how dudes there are doing Cronus fit. So if you're at the old guard, shout out to you guys for, for crushing Cronus fit. We heard that there's stickers there. So, I'm sending uh, Jimmy, if you're listening, a bunch of stickers down to your address so you can hand them out to, to those studs that are down there. Yeah, We do have more stickers in stock. Uh, I just put it up in the store. We've got the pine glasses now on the store. Aluminum pine glasses. We've got some more stickers. Uh, not pine, Aluminum pine cups, I guess. Not really glasses, but aluminum cups. Got some more stickers. Got some holographic ones. we got some two-for-ones which with the logo and the text. And we got the old-school Kronos the Cronus metal ones uh, back in the store as well. So hit them up. We got trying to get them some more apparel going too. Now that I'm off this week, so I'll do some more time getting some Cronus swag going. So minus the Cronus fit shoutouts that we just did. Oh yeah, yeah. You're a surgeon. You're up at Lewis. How's it going? It's good, man. Um, it's definitely a very sobering experience. Um, it's like, you know, it's actually you're you know responsible for someone's care i mean it's not just me but like i'm that first level in the continuum of care i guess where like it's mostly me as far as you know making sure the orders are right making sure the labs are good making sure that they're being taken care of so with that responsibility there are also days where i feel like a huge piece of shit because there are things that i just miss or like i forget about or don't follow up on so that's like a kind of a thing that i'm dealing with too is just like i feel like every day i'm just like a stupid piece of shit or like a dumb piece of shit for you know dropping the ball on something and then forgetting to do something and then forget like we talk about something during rounds i forget about that we talk about it and didn't put the don't put the order in and then it comes like in the afternoon it's like hey why wasn't this done and it's like oh i forgot to do it and there's like no (laughs) nobody else to like say you know so it was this guy's fault yeah it's, it's literally like it's my fault if stuff doesn't get done or if something falls through the cracks and it's kind of a you know it's a big responsibility to to shoulder 
And uh, it's not obviously it's not just me. There's like a senior resident, a chief resident. So there's like two people that are supervising me and making sure I'm doing everything. So like the big stuff doesn't really, you know, doesn't really happen. I guess it's very hard for like a mistake to make it all the way through, like that Swiss cheese model of a mistake promulgating through and actually affecting the patient. You know, there's a lot yeah. of barriers to prevent that um, that mistake from work its way through to actually hit the patient. So the way I've always looked at surgeons, because I've I've had the misfortune of having a couple surgeries. The surgeons are always like I feel like hot shots. I mean, if you've if you've grown up watching Scrubs, the surgeons were like the cool kids. You know, they were just getting stuff done. I look at surgeons like when I look at pilots, like you're they're that shit hot like forty seven pilot that's just going to put you on the side of a roof, on the side of a cliff. You're you're in good hands. At any point. Do you feel like your personality might has might have shifted because you're like a surgeon versus maybe how you would have been as a, you know, maybe a general physician? Oh. Like, do you do you do you interact differently with people? Hundred percent. There's definitely, um, I think, especially here at Madigan, there's definitely like a certain swagger. I would say being associated with the program here because I think we're not to like fucking jerk myself off or anything, but like um, the program at Madigan, the general surgery program at Madigan is like one of the best in the country and I'm not just from drinking the Kool-Aid because I'm here and what have, what have you but we have like 100% board board scores everybody passes their boards 100% from here it's like one of the highest rates in the country uh, as far as surgery residents go obviously like um, you know we're not as big of a program as like like Harvard or what have you but you know we still produce Nerds. yeah we still produce really good surgeons here I think there's like a certain swagger that's associated with it like um you know, people will see the surgery team running or like walking and they're rounding. It's like, oh, the surgeons are here. And people will say that and they'll be like, oh, the surgeons are here. And it's like they can, you know, it's kind of like that. There's like that mentality that like that culture of excellence definitely exists here. Well, so in your your white coat that I imagine you wear everywhere, are there any places on your uniform to like throw up like deployment patches no, or badges or any of that? So it's just. So nobody knows that you're completely tatted out. No. Well, it depends on like rolled out, yeah. tabbed, any of that. So like some days, like usually during rounds, we we walk in white coats. We're actually the only program in the hospital that was still wears white coats. It's like funny because like other hospitals is like all all physicians have like kind of moved away from white coats and wear like Patagonia jackets or what have you. But I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. But that's like because it's like a people just think the white coat is kind of like lame because it's like you know trying to show that you're a doctor or what have you but i think it's kind of cool to wear a white coat because it kind of like shows people that like hey like we're the surgeons like we're the only people that wear white coats um you know and then no it's, yeah it seems silly that you like why would you that's like the 82nd walking around a cry you don't need it bro yeah um but it's like definitely there's a certain like um mindset that comes with being in, in like a being a surgeon especially and then being here at madigan as a madigan surgeon i think there's definitely a diff- we have a pretty good culture here of like you know people i've noticed it too as like an intern like i've taken like a couple of trauma calls where i go to the tra- the trauma at the ed bay and the attending and like a senior resident like, like our third second or third year resident is asking me as an intern like what they should be doing what tests they should be ordering and it's like kind of interesting because like i'm only like a month into the into my training and already people like look to you for advice and look to you what to do and they're also well, that's doctors, like a great so, yeah. That's like a great culture. We, we hinted on it a little bit in some of the Q&As this week. But, you know, what develops that kind of that decentralized um, command climate that you can rely on individuals to make the right decisions. And it, and it all goes back to like bottom-up refinement 
and being open to recommendations from individuals and trusting them and allowing for some latitude for failure, but at the end of the day, still working towards the common goals. And so the more responsibility you provide somebody, the more that person is going to take it upon themselves that when they provide you with that answer, it's going to be the right answer. It's not going to be something that they just half-ass in order to provide you. Like you're, you're going to be entrusted to pick an HLZ for you know landing. You're going to do a lot of research before you, that bird touches down. So I think that's awesome that your hospital does that. Yeah, and it's like kind of our culture too. Like um, we literally hit the ground running like on the first day. Where it's like, all right, you have these patients, you have the orders to put in, you have the notes to write, and then you have it's up to you to get this stuff done. So like sometimes it's a kind of I would say it's a little bit overwhelming because sometimes I feel like you know I don't want to be that guy that asks like should I be doing this or what should I do? You know, like you don't want to be that person. But at the same time, though, like you need to kind of like experiment yourself and figure out like like kind of your left and right boundaries and this last month i've been yeah. trying to figure out like my left and right boundaries like how much i can do independently and how much i need to like ask before i do stuff so there's always like finding the finding the like your limits you know your left and right limits but then you know i definitely feel like empowered to do or like have to come up with like plans and how to manage certain things how to manage patients so i do feel very empowered from that regards and then you know I always feel like I have support if I need the support to get stuff done because, like, you know, they kind of let us as an interns kind of, you know, answer pages and kind of respond appropriately and how we think we do. And then, like, oh, like, you know, if we have, like, bring up an issue, you know, you always have a recommendation on how to fix that issue. So, like, that's what I'll do is, like, you know, there's something that I'm not sure what to do. I'll, you know, come up with something like a recommendation to, like, my senior or my chief and be like, hey, I got told that this patient, you know, is in a lot of pain um, and that pain is not being well managed. You know, I would like to do this, but then I'm also worried about this and like have a discussion on, and like kind of voice my thought process. So it's like been a very good experience and I can definitely see already like in the hospital how much more, I guess, advanced or how much more responsibility we have as surgery interns compared to the rest of the interns because, you know, I've taken like overnight call like four times now four or five times I like taking done, done overnights where it's just me um, and my senior overnight. And then I'll, you know, I feel very comfortable at night being able to recognize and respond appropriately to a lot of situations. Whereas the other night yeah. I was like, had a question for like one of the medicine in, uh, interns and asking pretty much asked them if they were taking care of my patient. And I like talked to him on the phone and this dude was like freaking out. I'm like, Hey man, are you taking care of this guy? He's like, oh, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's my first night. I don't really know what's going on. I, I haven't heard anything about this guy, but uh, uh, I'm like, dude, like, chill out, man. It's like, yeah, take a breather. Yeah, he's like, it's my first night. I don't really know what's going on. I'm like, dude, like, you're a doctor. Like, you can handle that. But I was like, whatever, man. Like, so much, much, much different than doing like your staff duty first time when you know somebody comes down and says, hey, is the motor pool locked? Hey, did you do this walk? I mean, so what's it like when you've got all these? parameters that you have to operate in and in the regular you know army and in, in, in soft like you've experienced that that proper fuck down before oh, yeah. like you messed up but i feel like with surgery there's almost that extra level that's like that's almost like if if you fuck up on mission that's way different than in training but you're always in the mission because you're dealing with sure, somebody's yeah. open body yeah. so how do you see doctors and your seniors talk to you either differently or, or similarly to, to how you were talked to when you were in regiment or the regular army when you made a mistake. Here's the thing, like, you know, we're treated like kind of like adults, you know? So it's like, it's never like a fuck down or yelling fuck down. It's like, they just look at you and just ask you, 
you know, why wasn't this done? And you just don't have any response. You're just like, you know, I fucked up. <laughs> and that's like a shittiest feeling too, because like you, it's like you're, you know, you're expected to, to not, to not make mistakes. You know, you have that. And it's like, well, I don't even say like that's expectation. Like, cause they know that I'm only like a month into it. So I can't be perfect. And I know that I'm a month into it and I can't be perfect. But there's still, like, I can't help but feel that, like, I should be doing better and I should be um, at a higher level than I am because I'm comparing myself to, you know, guys who are three years into it, guys who are six years into it, too. So it's, like, obviously, it's, like, as if on the first day, I'm not going to be at that level. And, like, logically and rationally, I understand that. But still, like, you know, I still have that, um, I guess, like, motivation or desire to keep to get to that level because that's, like, where I see myself going. That's, like, that's the ultimate goal is to be up here. But I'm, like, right. still down here at this level, and I still need to work my slowly work my way up there. But it's, like, I have such high, like, expectations for myself to get there. But it's, like, I've never been fucked. I haven't been fucked down. It's just, like, a you can you can just see it on someone's face, and you're, like, hey, you're like, why wasn't this done? Like, why did what what happened here? And you're just, like, you know. I messed up and it's just like the shittiest feeling, you know, cause then there's just like that look of disappointment that you, like every, that, you know, it's the about. worst. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I, the, the worst I've ever felt was when someone was just like, that's not the standard that we expected of you. Yeah. If you continue doing that, I don't foresee you having any success here. And you're being like, wow, he didn't curse once. Yeah. Never he was cursed. very mellow when he was talking to me. I mean, it's, it's an awful feeling. Do you have, maybe a, a better skill set in responding to some of that adversity or some of that criticism with your prior military service and, and continuing service by looking back and being able to reflect on your mistakes and maybe track them or write them down. Oh yeah. So I think that, um, but I think that's like any high performing individual too. I don't know if it like soft does that. I think I, like I was, you know, I think as an individual, you know, I, we, both of us are probably pretty high performing individuals before we even got to soft and then being in like Ranger regiment, just enhanced that and gave us more confidence and skill set to become more higher like become higher functioning or higher achieving you know so i feel like um not to like compare myself to my peers both my fellow interns they're both like savages and are like are really good too but i also feel like um i don't know it's just like i feel like i am able to reflect very like every day i'll come home and kind of reflect on like what i did poorly and ways that I can improve. So, like, I feel like in this last month, I've, like, you know, improved drastically in, in, not, in like, my workflow, being efficient, and knowing, like, how to, you know, to being, like, better, you know, like, better work, just being, like, better in terms of how I'm doing things. So, I think that's a, that's definitely a skill set that I think I refined from Ranger Regiment. It's, like, that self-awareness, being able to you know, critically and unemotionally evaluate your own performance and then being able to create like a course of action and wave like steps forward and how to rectify it. And it's, it's not like I'm... So talk to us, like when you're, when you're reviewing yourself, uh, whether it's from the professional standpoint uh, as a doctor to, you know, personally with working out, um, are there any differences with how you approach those problems or are they, it's literally the same. It's just going to be on repeat because you're a machine. I think it's just the same thing. It's like, you know, you can't get better unless you're looking at yourself and critically thinking about what you're doing. You know, like every day, you know, I, I can, I will think about, Oh, like I missed this. So I need to figure out a way to structure how I think or how I process information to make sure I don't miss it again. 
Well, the same thing like working out. Like you have, you know, every workout you do, for example, you have an opportunity to self-evaluate and see like what you did well, what you didn't do well, and ways that you can rectify that in the future. But I think in working out, it's like more A equals B, and you know, it's like it's more direct. Right. So I think you definitely have a little, a lot shorter feedback loop when it comes to working out because you can definitely see, you know, physically and like um, quantitatively see like your improvement in your time, your strength, your, you know, what, whatever metric you have. I think right. in medicine it's a little bit harder because you, it's harder to quantify like mistakes or quantify like how well you're doing because it's not like you can't really like put a metric or a number on like how many orders you put into the day. You probably think about like how fast you get things done. But that's like also like another, I don't know if this speed is necessarily a good thing as well too, you know? Yeah. So what would be a recommendation for somebody that maybe it's the first time they want to take ownership of a failure or they want to be able to, to rectify issues that they've observed for themselves, you know, kind of like a first time I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that I, I maybe am not uh, the best at running or the best at pushups. Um, what's a good first step to doing that? in building this kind of maturity level to going forward and improving? I think the first step is obviously just recognize the fact that you have an issue. Like, you know, you can't fix something until you have recognized that this is an issue and that you need to fix it. So like you could, you know, you could never, like if you're, for example, for running, like if you don't run, you're never going to know that you're a shitty runner, you know? Right. So the first step is definitely acknowledging or putting yourself in a situation to either make mistakes or to learn, you know, or to do something so that you can learn from the mistake. So like, uh, so as far as like working out goes, like you have to first acknowledge the fact that, you know, that you need help. Um, and then second is like recognizing that you don't know what you're doing and that you need to ask somebody that might know what they're doing for help. And I do that in medicine all the time. Like, um, there's plenty of times where I'm like, I am faced with like, a, for example, like a patient or a call, I get called that a patient is like, you know, starting to become unstable. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I recognize the situation that like, Hey, like maybe I'm in trouble or this guy's in trouble and I'm a little bit over my head. And this has happened multiple times now. And then I'll immediately call for help. And I'll call my senior resident who's the, who the, or call my chief resident who has that additional two or four or five years more experience than I do. And then, you know, elevating up the chain um, and finding help and getting help. Um, and I think that's going to be, and that's like not, you know, it's, it's foolish to think that you know everything and you're able to do to handle everything by yourself. You know, I think that's the first step to like really being to getting better is that recognizing that you have a problem or have an issue and then, you know, finding help wherever you can, where you think it's appropriate. It's like the first step of AA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. Uh, So, you know, you you identify that you have a problem. If you're in an environment, though, where maybe you don't have the best chain of command, you know, let's just say we're back on the line. Mm -hmm. What kind of resources do you think are out there or, you know, would you recommend individuals look into from, you know, the the mental standpoint all the way down to the technical, uh, you know, competencies? For military stuff, I think it's a little bit harder just because it's more of a niche environment. But, I mean, um, I'm sure there are, like, podcasts and ways that you can listen to other people share some leadership experiences. Cronus Fit. Us, for example. But, I mean, you can talk about, like, uh, Jocko. I think Jocko, despite somehow what people – how you might feel about Jocko's podcast, I think he does a pretty good job of talking about, like, leadership and, like, self-development and all that, like, all that stuff. Um 
you know, you might question like, oh, he's like selling out as a seal. But I feel I still think he makes a pretty good product. And there's like books. I don't too. think we've ever questioned seals on this podcast. No, never. <laughs> but I mean, they still like it or not, they still have a pretty good. They still produce a pretty good product. And there's yeah. also like the you know there you might not find a direct answer, but this is also like you putting in the time and the effort to make yourself better. So that's like reading books about psychology. You know, I've I'm a, I've always been a big fan of reading like psychological like um, psychology, self help style books, like philosophy books, just ways that you can develop yourself and you know uh, giving yourself more tools or more perspectives where you can you know operate or to understand other people from but like definitely as far as the military goes like if you're not getting your train of command like i'm sure you have buddies that you went through you know rotc west point bolick what have you you have you know the the military is pretty as as like as contrite as is to say the military and the army specifically is a very small organization like once you join it for better or for worse, you you know you develop a reputation. You have a reputation immediately from joining the military, and that reputation comes from you know your ROTC, your West Point days, your Bullock days, your first unit, second, third, fourth unit, like all that shit ties back together. And then once you have that reputation, that kind of sticks with you. So I feel like yeah. at your first unit, you're kind of you feel like you don't know what to do. You know, reach out to I would probably reach out to like your buddies in Bullock. You know, you know typically the, the guys that do well um, at like and Bullock or do well academically or do well physically kind of like can, can join together. You know, you hang yeah. like, like attracts like, and you're going to, you're going to hang out with guys that you're the most alike with. So I would say like, you know, reach out to some of your buddies, reach out to some mentors that you might have that, you know, are from like undergrad or West point and they might not have the answer, but I can at least point you to someone that does have the right answer. I think some of the hardest things that you have to do is ask the question, and once you get over that hump of opening yourself up and being a little exposed oh, yeah. and asking mm-hmm. tough questions, how do I do this? What should I do? People aren't going to look at you less just because you're inquiring how to better yourself. If you're asking, like people say there's no such thing as a dumb question. There are absolutely dumb questions. Like we've seen them a million times. But if someone's asking uh, an educated question obviously coming from a background where they want to better themselves, nobody's ever going to scoff at that. Yeah. And the fact that you are mature enough to come and recognize that you don't have all the answers, that person is going to have the world of respect for you because they know that they can trust you to come and ask the, the tough questions because in the future, they're going to be the same individuals that are going to tell you, you know, when something is completely fucked up. Um, that you want to know firsthand because they're not too afraid to voice maybe, you know, a counter opinion. And, and I think that's a, a big difference in leadership, though. The individuals that are just the yes men are those ones that you never want to follow into combat. You certainly, you know, never want to lead because you never find out the issues until well after you're gone mm-hmm. or you've LD'd. Yeah, that's a great, great point. It's just that, you know, I'll never fault some and like a leader too just not not even in medicine just as like a in, like as a leader like i'm never gonna fault somebody for asking for help or asking like some more guidance on something you know i mean there's a certain point like you know message garcia type thing where like once you're given an order like you should expect someone to you know be able to fulfill that order but at the same time though like if you're over your head um there is nothing wrong with legitimately asking for help and saying that hey you know i don't know what i'm doing and i need some help um and I think as a leader, like you should, you shouldn't put 
guys down or your subordinates down if they legitimately are coming to you with a concern that they're that they're not really sure what's going on because you know once you like brush that off as a leader or you don't take it seriously like you're just creating an environment where it's not okay to ask questions or get further guidance of course the military is a little bit you know and just i mean military can be a little more like you know i want you to do this and like give you like you know, like I want you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like a classic ranger school example. Like I want, you, I want you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but like you don't tell them how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so that they yeah. they can learn from their mistakes and learn from them too as well. But at the same time, as like, um, you know, if you're training, there's a certain thing about you know you need to experiment and learn for yourself. But like in medicine, there's just definitely it's more, it's definitely I would say like more life or death where like you definitely need to know that you know, are recognized when you need help and then to go up and ask for help because, you know, that that's the biggest way that you can get yourself in trouble is by not, as they say in medicine, you not loading the boat properly and getting as, as much help as you can get. Well, you brought up ranger school. I think, you know, since we're kind of like that ranger-focused uh, organization for, for the most part, you know, you mentioned making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We've gotten a lot of questions before, like, what literature should I be reading before I go to ranger school? You know, as if there is a, a golden text out there. I mean, there is. The Ranger Handbook, like, you can read that thing front to back a million times, but until you have to actually put it into practice, it's kind of just going to be words on a page. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we, at least once a week, we, we respond to somebody with, with the same question, which is fine because they're asking it. There's nothing that you can really do to prepare mentally so far as briefing op boards to go to ranger school because whether you're coming from Bullock or you're coming from regiment or you're coming from any other unit or, you know, uh, the Q course or a a team, they're going to teach you in the first phase, in the first week and a half that you're going to get there, you are going to get multiple classes from our eyes that have memorized that handbook front to back. They're going to tell you a 26-step briefing order for every single thing that you're going to have to brief from, you know, the, the movement technique to your order of movement to exactly where each individual, each rifleman is going to be within your team and your squad. When you get to mountain phase, you are going to put that onto steroids and you're going to brief that up to the platoon level and you're going to incorporate some different weapon systems because then by the time you've been running with this for almost a month plus, you get to Florida and then they're like, all right, we're going to throw variables at you. You're going to have time hacks that seem completely... Uh, impossible to hit uh, and, and provide, you know, effective orders in this one-thirds, two-thirds planning uh, matrix that you're developing, but they just want to see you get out what the most important information is. So, you know, recognize, like what Bobby said, exactly where you are and at what, what, what path that you've taken. If you're at the very beginning of your career or you're at the very beginning, you know, like with Bobby with medicine, you ask like the pertinent questions to that situation, but like if you lean way too far forward, you might be eating way too much of the elephant like way too quickly. Like small bites, educate yourself on exactly what you have to do, and then you're just going to be super successful because you're going to know how to articulate problems as they come up and not try to you know overdo it with what is their life answer. Like what is the question that I have to ask to pass Ranger School? Is if there's like one singular thing to do. Yeah, I think people can get like kind of caught up in like um, maybe over analyzing or over preparing for something. At a certain point, though, you just have to like just you know just do it. You know, fitness will, will and then you know that's why we always that's why we preach that fitness is like kind of the basic, the basis for everything. Because if you're physically fit, like ranger school, I mean, it's still gonna suck, but 
you know, if you have that little bit of extra fitness to that carries you through the shittiness, you'll one be like more mentally calm, and two, just you know, it'll, it won't be as hard for you because you've been through some shittier situations or like shitty, you know, workouts, and kind of develop some of that grit and determination that comes from that. It sounds weird, but you know, within a year of graduating, I could recall I felt like almost every other day of that school. So uh, I went straight through and I feel like there were 31 days where I could tell you what I did from when I woke up to when I went to bed. It, it was weird. Like I could, I could, re- re- you know, remember it in very vivid detail. And now like, what am I, nine years later, I could maybe tell you about like maybe six to 10 things total that happened. Like I can't remember really any of the shitty times of Ranger School. I know like I remember at one point I was tired I know that like it was tiring, but I physically can't remember that. Like I don't get that like weird, like anxious bubble building up in my chest, going, "Oh my god, I remember how hard that like ruck was." I just like I think I remember it sucked. I can't remember it though. Right. I mean, it was like it, it was just such like a fleeting moment in the in the totality of your life. It's like just embrace whatever that suck is because you're gonna be some middle aged thirty one year old that really can't recall how fucking tired you were on a ruck. Yeah, so I I do know that there's like a there's like a psychological phenomena where where you in your memory you remember the ending and you remember the worst part of an event. So you never remember anything in between. So like for example, you talk about um like Ranger School. Most people remember the one graduation because that's the last mm-hmm. thing that you do. So that's the top the the, the 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 apex of your memory, and they'll remember. And that memory will overshadow the rest of it. So, like, uh, this is just an interesting psychological phenomenon. So, like, we talk about, like, surgery, too, and patients. And, like, um, people will remember um, the most pain that they felt from the surgery. And then they'll remember the, the end of the surgery after they recover. So, like, you don't necessarily – you probably won't remember how much it sucked. But you'll know it sucked. But that yeah. you'll remember that moment at Victory Pond. And I'll never forget that moment at Victory Pond shat- overshadowing, like, the rest of Ranger School, you know. Oh yeah, dude. When I got my surgery, you bring up surgery. Um, when I some I I dislocated my hand and broke part of my wrist, and when I was in Afghanistan, they had to reset it because it was dislocated. And before they put me under, I just remember they they hung my hand up and they put weights on my yeah, elbow, trying it. to like, yeah, yeah, trying to just rip it. And then he's like with my hands in these like literal like Chinese finger yeah, traps. Yeah, exactly. What you're talking about. They're trying to yank it. I'm like. Dude, I feel that. Like, I can feel you trying to slide my hand back onto my wrist. Can you just knock me out, please? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, days later, I got a, a surgery where they, they had to tie everything back together. But, like, that's – I remember the in-between was, like, super painful and boring. But I remember the surgery waking up, and I remember them trying to reset my hand and my wrist and just being, like, everything else, though – nothing exactly I, I was in a cast i just remembered nothing yeah so you remember the best and the worst part but you know everything else is just in between you don't really remember um so yeah but that's how just, many years does it take to to build up that that like i let's just call it like mental stupidity like you can't rem- you're just dummy you can't remember i don't know i don't know the, the, what the literature says on that but i do know that that phenomena is a very real phenomenon that you just remember the worst part and the best part and everything else is just whatever in between yeah i I will definitely, I'll definitely remember the pain of that. But yeah, same with range school. Because I, I, I asked my dad, uh, you know, I, I know he did Mount Yona when he was in mountain phase. 
but when we went there and they're like, yeah, we're hiking to the top. Uh, if you fall out, you drop from the course. And I felt like I had been so well prepared growing up and asking him all of his ranger school stories. And then now looking back being like, I, I can't believe he remembered half of them. When he didn't remember Mount Yona, <laughs> I remember walking Yona and being like, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to... When I graduate, the first thing I'm going to do is be like, hey, asshole, you didn't tell me about this dumb hill we had to hike up. Why didn't you tell me? Like, I would have mentally prepared knowing that I had to hike however many hundred feet of elevation while they, you know, you, you were going to go up there and do some mountaineering exercises. I didn't think my like, was that bad when we did it. I didn't, I, didn't think, I didn't think so either. I was just angry I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. Like, that, you know, so spoiler alert, if you're going to mountains, you're going to walk up Yona. Uh, spoiler alert again, if it's during like the summer, there might be, you know, thunder and lightning storms. Don't sit on a a tree branch. Um, lightning hit like a tree and got everybody, uh, in the platoon. And that was the class that had five recycles that had to spend like a couple weeks in the hospital because they had been struck by lightning earlier in the phase. So lessons, lessons learned. But yeah, um, but where, where, where are we going with that? Failure. Sucking. Oh. So I will share a story um, of confronting failure and feeling a huge piece of shit. Uh, I had a patient die on me a couple weeks ago. Uh, my first patient. So I've actually had two patients die on me now. Uh, the first one was my first overnight shift. And this patient was in the ICU. But like it wasn't our patient. It was the ICU taking care of them. But I like I had actually known this guy because we had round. It was a vascular surgery patient, so we had rounded on him like a couple of days beforehand. He's actually like a really nice guy, and that was like a kind of a inter- kind of a rough, um, psychologically speaking, like rough like welcome to I guess like start to like medicine because you know yeah. two days before he was alive and he was talking to you and he was like a really nice guy, like really jovial, making jokes and like saying like how he felt okay and like you know he'll he'll recover and feel better and then two days later he's dead you know and then my guy and that's the one that um i think affected me a lot um so that was this was a two two weeks ago um this guy was super sick came in um from out of state was like flown in with like a pretty much dead bowel and like not like very unstable patient to begin with was in the icu for say again not doing well yeah no he was he was a very sick guy to begin with uh came in went got operated on with the icu for like i don't know like two or three weeks and then after that was you know transferred to the floors um but it basically like uh well i was like in charge i was on the team taking care of him and like so uh as the intern you're kind of the first page or the first person that gets called uh something goes on with the floors so I was the first guy I got paged that, the, that this guy was becoming like unstable, was because like hypotensive, his his pressures were dropping, um, and he was starting to lose and it just wasn't responding very well. So you know that's like a call you don't want to get. Um, so I you know went to evaluate him bedside uh, and to go take a look at him, and I realized hey like this guy is like he is like something's up with him. I don't know what's going on, but he is like very unstable. So I called for help. Um, and called pretty much my senior, told him the page, um, and get like a rapid response to get some more help in the room. But basically the guy, um, then proceeded to to decompensate and then died. Um, but you know, it was my first real experience responding to like a real emergency situation. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I, 
logically and rationally think I performed um, very well, uh, very well at the level I'm supposed to. Like there's, I didn't know what to do because I mean, this is my first time seeing a dying patient or a patient starting to deteriorate to like on the brink of death. But like I, you know, responded very quickly, recognized that hey, like I need help, and started calling for help immediately. And then I started, you know, getting the basic, started gathering information, like started ordering labs. Like I had actually, ironically enough, was have rehearsed this in my mind so many times that I actually knew exactly what orders I wanted to get knew exactly what i needed to do in order to respond appropriately like you talk about rehearsals and like mental rehearsals and i had prepared i had literally had preparing been preparing for this moment for months now thinking about you know i've listened to podcasts about medicine podcasts as like as you know how to respond to emergencies on the ward so like i've listened to these episodes listened and then mentally rehearsed like you know i need to order this 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 and this to, to either rule in or rule out what the pathology is so I had even had like on my order set, I have this order set on my on my um, on my EMR that my I like favorite orders and my favorite orders are like I call it my emergency order tab. So like um, it's all set up, so it's all like stat orders. Like this is if somebody's decompensating, I just go into that order set and just click on everything and order that at once. So I know that yeah. you know this covers everything that I could possibly need right off the bat uh, to get information uh, that I need. And then on top of that, um, so I, I had that set up before this happened because um, we use because it's military, so we have all of CACs, right? And you have to log in with your CACs, so it's a huge pain in the ass because you have to bring your CAC in, uh, and plug your CAC into a computer in order to log in. And of course, it's a military fucking computer, so it takes like ten minutes for the computer to get set up. But luckily, some floors and some uh, places have something called like a tap and go, where it's like a, your badge can tap into a computer and immediately log you in so you can do orders. So thinking of that, I was like, hey, like thinking about this in my my mind, I was like, hey, this will be really, this is a good capability to have because I'm not always gonna have my laptop with me, my computer with me to put in orders. I'm not always gonna have my CAC with me to plug it in to put in orders, but I always have my badge with me to tap into computers and put in orders that way. So like leading up to this moment, I think I had done all the I was fully prepared for this moment, both like mentally and like had game planned it already because you know, you you prepare for the worst every time. So like I had already rehearsed in my mind, like I'm gonna go in, evaluate him, make sure he's stable or unstable, and then order all the stuff I'm gonna order. So I got everything cooking and or within like minutes of showing up, I had everything ordered and was um, you know, trying to stabilize him, like trying to lay him down and get him stabilized and then help started coming. So like Emo- like logically and rationally i know that i did literally like what i was supposed to do and i did what i was supposed to do very well but still at the end of the day um when he did die it was a very shitty shitty feeling just thinking that like you know i was involved in this guy's death somehow like i i mean there's something that like rationally that i could have done anything different the only thing there was like one thing i could have done different and that was to call a cold blue like fully called like he was dying uh sooner because that called everyone out uh, that he was like actively dying, and I think that if I'd done that, I would have mobilized more help immediately. But like, yeah. that's like that's like a minuscule fact. But the fact that like I did all everything that I was like I had mentally rehearsed for this moment, I think that you know I didn't take it as personally or take it as hard as I probably could have because like you know I had put in the time and the mental energy to prepare myself for what I would do in this situation. Like we talk about mentally preparing 
you know, you, you said you had your go-to orders. Um, I feel like you probably had to develop that in your free time. Like that wasn't probably oh, something yeah. that during, so, you know, in, in being a good leader and being a good doctor, how many hours would you say, and even when, you know, you were down on the line, did you spend outside of work bettering yourself like every week? I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, it's hard to say now, like now it's definitely like more translatable. Like, you know, I'll show up, um, I'll, depending on what service I'm on, I'll show up at like four o'clock in the morning where, and then try Cause we don't start rounding until six o'clock. So I have like a two hours where I'm sitting there, you know, reading about patients, getting things ready, making sure all my notes are ready, like putting in the time, like I'm putting an hour before even I'm supposed to be there an hour early before that. And then at the end of the day, putting in an extra hour or so to make sure everything's ready for the next day. And it's like, you know, I tell all the med students that rotate with us, um, I tell them all the same thing. It's like, it's all about time management and being efficient with your time. Like, what can you do now to set yourself up for success in the future? And I still that tell it to all my med students because that I think is a, not just in medicine, but in, in life. Like what, like, yeah. you, you know, what can you do now to make you successful in the future? And it's not just like in medicine, like making sure like all the notes are right for the next day, but it's like in military, in the military too. Like, what can you do? Like if you're if you have a free, if you have a free like minute or like a free like block of time for like 30 minutes, like what can you do now that you can do to make your life easier in the future? Whether that's like reading a book, you know, prepping a con op for something that's due in like weeks out, you know, planning for something that's weeks out, putting in orders and, and creating an order set uh, for myself when, um, you know, prepping for that, that call or that moment where I know that I need help or this guy's dying. I need to get all the information I can get in lab work, like being able to, and that's like the, the time they put in, um, to make yourself better for the future. Do you have a physical checklist or you were talking about like all these orders and you, you know, you had your go-to tab. Is this a digital thing? It's a digital thing, but like, um, but that's, but it's also helpful because then, you know, once I click on that tab, it's like, what else do I need to think about? Because, you know, there's a certain algorithm to the approaching emergencies. Like you talk about ABCs, your airway breathing, your circulation, and you can kind of run through a bunch of like possible situations that, you know, would emergently, would kill somebody pretty quickly. But it's just like, um, I don't know, just thinking about like what could go wrong. So like, for example, another thing that I do that I started doing last week after this guy died, as I started, um, I care. I now have like on my desk, I have a central line kit, uh, which is, a, which is like a, basically an IV that you put into a large vein that lets you put in like a lot of fluids at once. So I have that on my kit. So not really my kit, but I have it on my desk. I started carrying a scalpel. With a plate carrier in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, like if I'm on a certain service, I'll carry a scalpel in my pocket. Cause like you never want to be in a situation where you're asking for something. And this happened too. Um, when this guy died, like, we didn't have everything in the, that we needed in the room, so we we're like asking people to get stuff for us, um, and then people, you know, don't always know where stuff is, and then like, you never want to show up unprepared in a situation, and like you, this talk, this like goes speaks directly translatable to the military. It's like, you should know how to work all your equipment. You should know where your equipment is. It shouldn't be that emergency situation where you have to. It's your first time using this equipment in an emergency situation. Like, you oh, should, dude, this is the worst. Like. I, I can't tell you how disappointed I was when I got to Hood and I had to go run a like platoon on platoon, you know, force mod and I had E sixes that didn't know how to program an embitter to like name and change channels. Yeah. And you're you're just like 
how have you been in this long and never touched one of these things? Like, so in the hospital too, I can all, I mean, the amount of stuff that you have to deal with, you know, you were just talking about that IV kit. I, I feel like you've got the equivalent in a hospital to what you might have in like a Ranger arms room. Like there's so much stuff that you have to be, you know, responsible for and competent on it. It's got to be like just mind blowing to, to conceptualize. And granted, I will say that I have physically not put in like a central line or like have put in a chest tube or put done like a lot of these bedside procedures, but I can tell you word for word how I would do it because I've rehearsed in my mind so often and visualized it in my mind so often. I can tell you what I'm going to do. Like, and that's the thing It's like you, if you're not able to physically rehearse and practice it, you should at least mentally rehearse it and then, you know, think about the, each step that you can take through it. And it's like, it's, I, I didn't really, I guess, appreciate the importance of rehearsals until like, until really now. But like, you know, even for surgeries, like uh, before I go into a surgery, I will visualize the steps I'm going to do, the instruments I'm going to ask for, what I'm going to do next. So that, you know, when I, in, when I'm in the operating room, it's not the first time I'm, I'm like thinking about what I'm going to do, you know, yeah. but that's like, but that's like transferable in life too. Like you need to do the proper, that's your, ter- that's your terrain. Yeah. Walk. It's your, it's your practice. It's your mental, it's your rehearsals. You know, you have to be able to talk about rehearsals. You don't have to do like, you know, a full, full combat rehearsal. Like you don't, it, but you can do, you know, the very level, the, the various levels of rehearsals, starting with like the verbal walkthrough back briefs, et cetera, what have you. It's yeah. like throughout life too. Like you can't just you know show up on game day and expect to, you know, fucking throw a game winning touchdown if you haven't done it before, at least mentally done it before. You know, if, of course, right. like physically I haven't put in any stuff, but I can tell you literally how to do it because I've rehearsed my mind so many times. Because, you know, that's gonna be that's a one situation that I will do not want to be in is the day that if I get called to do this procedure, and I don't know what to do or I don't know how to respond because I think that's would weigh way more on me as a, in terms of um, psychologically that, you know, if I was expected, if I show up and I'm expected to do this and to save the patient and I don't have these, I'm not able to do it because I just didn't prepare enough. Like that's like going to be the worst feeling I can imagine ever. Well, and I think too, we talk about like competency and the amount of time that you put into training before, you know, you're even stepping next to a patient in the military when deployments were, I would say, from like 2014, 15, when, when the conventional units really stopped doing patrols and became more just security forces for soft and enablers and doing like these random just kind of patrols right outside the FOB, you'd have company commanders, and, and my brigade did it, um, and, and we're really happy to do it because it gave more guys leadership in, in a deployed environment. You know, you, these companies and these platoons would train up for you know, six months before deployment. And then three to six months into the deployment, they would have a complete change of leadership. The platoon leaders would get changed out. The company commanders would get changed out. You might change some NCOs. And when they were talking about me taking command, I remember being like frustrated for the current commanders. Like, cause I'll be damned if I'm walking in to somebody else's company even if I, I think that I'm a better, you know, potential commander for that element or I'm a better candidate to command, that person has way more invested in that company having gone through these pretty arduous tasks prior to getting to Afghanistan than I do. Like, I don't understand how units are now allowing individuals to just jump into leadership positions in the middle of deployment. This isn't World War II where, like, you know, the LT got shot 
by some Nazi on a hill. Like, this is a relatively controlled environment. Those emergency situations of replacing individuals, like, can you imagine that in the hospital if someone just threw you into, like, you know, a position that maybe you didn't even do any kind of train up for? Like, I, I just feel like, you know, there, there's a there's an element of failure that is just magnified when people aren't properly um, vetted, vested in the mission, and then, you know, ensuring some protection for the end of the day, what you're supposed to be there for, which is the people or your soldiers. Sure. But I mean, I think you could argue both sides of that too. It's like another way of preparing or, you know, making sure that, you know, leaders are vetted in terms of, you know, it's also like, I'm sure that, you know, commanders, when they do that, have certain systems and backup systems to make sure that, you know, they aren't throwing this company to the wolves, so to speak, by giving them a new, PL or like new come to commander or giving this platoon the new new PL that's never been in PL before, like, right? You know, they're, they're, it's not going to be like set up for for failure. Like that one guy is not going to be instrumental in the whole company, mm-hmm. you know, being successful. I mean, if you got 120 guys there, but I, I just think it's uh, it's like a dangerous precedent that you set when you take people like that and you don't allow them to do you know, like all of the rotations like you had while you were in med school uh, getting there. Like, it, it, can you imagine if you just went to med school and then didn't have to do any rotations at the hospitals there in Camden and then first day they're like, all right, uh, sew this guy's arm on. Like, how, how significantly more difficult that would have been for you? Sure. I mean, like, yeah, you know, you learn on the ground and, and you learn through some failure, but at, at what point, like, what's the level of failure that, you know, your leadership is willing to tolerate at that point, not doing, you know, maybe a proper full-up train-up. Sure, and that's like, uh, but yeah, that, that, I'm sure that happens too, but, you know, I don't think, but that that also speaks to, like, um, I think that's a good point that you can make about um, people taking things seriously, like like in Bullock or in training and, like, an undergrad. It's like, you know, all these experiences that you have are preparing you for game day. Like, in med school, like, so many of my peers, I remember in med school, were like saying, like, we're joking, like, oh, this is important because we're not going to get tested on it. Or like, hey, like, I don't think, like, we need to know this because um, I'm never going to see this in real life. Or like, you know, I don't think this, because that, that was a classic, like, med student response is like, oh, this isn't, isn't going to be an honor board. So I'm not going to learn this or know this. But it's like, you know, all these moments and all these experiences add up to who you are and add up to your mental schema of how you approach problems and see and how you evaluate situations. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably never going to, you know, do, I don't know, like, fucking have to know, like, um, some random obscure fact. But, like, or in the hospital, I was never like, oh, I'm never going to have to, like, do neurology or do, like, look at stroke patients again. But then, sure enough, like, now as a as an intern, I also like do neurosurgery consults like being able to you know learn these skills on the front end in med school when you know you don't really know what's important or not important you just do what you're told you know but so many yeah, people put solution on its skin yeah but so many people like will shrug it off and say oh you know i'm going into um like surgery or like for example like i'm going into mer- or internal medicine so I, I don't need to pay attention on surgery like I don't need i'm gonna to, be a plastic surgeon yeah like i don't I'm, i don't need to be a plastic surgeon or what have you, but like all these experiences set you up for success and help create like skills that you don't really know that they're a skill until you need them. So for example, like, um, like a classic example is like, um, if 
people that want want to go want to go to medicine, and then on their surgery rotations just didn't put in any time or effort to actually like learn how to do surgery because you don't that's like oh I don't need to learn how to do this or I don't need to prepare to do this right. because I'm never going to do this in my life. It becomes like very evident in the fact of you know when you when people get consult when they consult surgery when people in medicine consult surgery or talk to surgeons like they don't it's ob- very obvious they did they don't understand like what you do or like what how or how we think and that's like um like the classic example i think in like bullet and like in undergrad or in bullock is like you might shrug it shrug it off and say oh i'm never gonna have to do this in real life like you know why do i have to learn like machine gun theory when i have like a you know a weapons t- weapons quality that's gonna do machine guns yeah. for me but that's like the classic example like you don't want to be that leader or that individual that doesn't know what they're talking about when the time comes when it becomes important because it's still on you as a leader like even though you might not be directly responsible for it like it's still is incumbent upon you to be able to do it you know yeah the only caveat i would add is uh if you're a leader do not worry about what the fsc does whenever they're teaching that at bullock or triple c and they're talking about tailgating and how to do like refueling operations if you're going light let that go through one ear and out the other you do not need to know that as a commander you don't need to know that as anyone you know, you're going to get your fuel when you get your fuel because you know you're you're the heavy pipe hitter. You're you're gonna you're gonna get what you need. So, side note for guys that are going through triple C, yeah. fuck the FSC. Who cares? Well, but long story short, like um, I think you know high perform like I would say like average or not as high performing individuals will have a um, maybe a tendency to not pay attention or not apply themselves when they don't see that it's appropriate or don't think it's beneficial and it is up i think that's what separates you know high performing individuals from less than high performing is that you know high performing individuals will take every opportunity and every um experience that they can because they understand that you know they might not need it now as like a second lieutenant or as a captain but maybe as like a brigade commander or as a field grade, you will you will need this skill set or you will need this information in the future, and I think that's what makes people you know successful is understanding the fact that you know it might not be important now, but somebody's teaching you this to you for a reason, and it's going to be important in the future, and you just don't know it yet. Okay, so to piggyback off what I said earlier, if you want to be an S3 or an XO, it's very important that you know what the FSC does, exactly how they're going to get you your fuel, your food, what your field kitchens look like. Uh, those are very important things for keeping the soldiers on the line happy. So if you're a company commander, forget about it. If you want to be a field grade, you need to know it. So uh, figure out how how high you want to climb because Bobby's completely right. If you want to be a battalion commander, a brigade commander, uh, support is very important. You know, uh, bullets don't fly without supply. I think I've seen that tattooed quite a couple couple times. Yeah. But long story short, the point I'm trying to make is like, um, you know, it doesn't matter what level you are in your career or where you are in your life. There's always something that you can do to make your future self successful or more successful. And it, yeah. you might not know the answer now, like as you know, as like a 21 year old in college, like you might not know what's important now. But you should put yourself in situations, give yourself opportunities that develop you and challenge you because from these, you know, experiences that you might not recognize are important will make you a better person in the future. Um, and you'll look back on it and be like, oh, that was really very funny or very, what a great coincidence that I did this because it made me better at doing this in the future than what I wanted to do. So that's, no, absolutely. that's I, the thing. 
so we were talking about kind of like professional failure, you know, and how you can recognize that. Um, I think too, it, it, it would be, uh, in, uh, you know, inauthentic for us to talk about personal failure too. And like, you know, steps of that. So it's not like you and I are, are total failures or, you know, total flub ups here. Um, you know, I was training for the last, I'd say four months to, to do an Ironman. Um, I currently feel like a failure because I'm putting that training on hold uh, for, you know, probably the next six months as I can't get into a pool. Every single race is getting canceled. Um, You know, what would you say from the standpoint of, you know, things that are out of your control making you feel like a failure and and getting over that hump? You know, what are some tools that, you know, that are out there? I think the biggest thing, like I kind of mentioned it with how I felt like uh, with when that guy died a couple of weeks ago, like, like emotionally and psychologically, I was pretty fucking wrecked. Like I actually cried when I get home because I felt like so responsible for this guy's death. Like I was like so emotional from that. But then like rationally and logically, I knew like, hey, like it's not your fault. Like I did everything that I literally was supposed to do, and I actually responded like very, you know, very appropriately. And I actually would say I probably responded admirably for my level of position. Yeah. So like emotionally, it still sucks, and psychologically, it still sucks. But like. At a certain point, you have to, like, recognize and, like, rationalize it to yourself that, you know, it wasn't necessarily your fault. And there were things done that were outside of your control that you can't possibly control. And that you can reevaluate the situation and then, you know, look at what you did specifically that made you either success or failure. And then if it's something that you did that caused you to fail... You have to make that, you know, that uh, do that analysis and then figure out how you can prevent that from happening again, you know. Yeah. And like I think. So I would. And then for so like what you're saying is is identify maybe things that were in your control, um, but do you put like maybe like you know I want to now put another target out there on on my calendar for okay I I couldn't get it done here I felt like you know a bit of a failure for not having you know been able to train effectively or be able to perform effectively here. Um, did you, did you see yourself doing the same thing? Um, you know, in the hospital, like, you know, you mentioned having this kid available. Uh, do you have stuff now on a calendar? You're like, this is a benchmark that I want to hit, you know, to, to better patients with this topic or, you know, whatever have you. I I don't think so. Cause I don't think it's near necessarily as quantifiable as like, you know, if training for something is cause you know, when Mm -hmm. you're training, you you literally have metrics that you can track progress with. But I think when it comes to like patient care, it's very I don't think it's you can really track that as much or have like metrics that you can hold yourself accountable to. Instead I look more of it as like an effort thing and like um how much effort time and effort I'm making I'm putting into making myself better, you know? Yeah. It's like very easy because like um it's very easy to, you know, to because I I'm fucking tired all the time. Like I fall asleep on the couch i fall i get tired driving home every day after work like i you know in the verge of falling asleep while driving kind of dangerous besides the point but the point i'm trying to make is like you didn't hear that here we didn't yeah. say that that didn't happen yeah the, i'm your lawyer that never happened yeah the point of the, the point i'm trying to make is like you know, i'm always fucking tired and i would always rather just go to fucking sleep and not do the work i need to do but regardless i still come home at like seven o'clock at night i'll eat dinner with, with my wife and then I'll take that 30 minutes to an hour before I go to bed to read. And I just am constantly reading and trying to learn as much as I can because, you know, yeah. um, 
it, like any skill you have to develop it in order to get better and like you can't expect that you know you can't expect to fucking like i said throw the game winning touchdown with ever without ever putting in the thousands of hours of perfecting your spiral or you know understanding how your offense works like it's the same fucking analogy for life you can't expect success if you don't put the the hours and hours and and sweat and tears and you know blood sweat and tears into it and then show up on game day expect oh you know you know i think i put it i you know i think i can i can do this because you know i want to do it no you can't like that's not that's not feasible that's not like you can't it's not possible to just show up on game day and expect success if you haven't put the time in to achieve that success and and that's like and that's kind of a shitty like uh response too because people always ask us like hey how do you be successful and soft? How do you be, you know, how do you get your Ranger tab? Like, how do you, you know, go get selected for SF? It's like, how do you pass SFAS? It's like, I wish I could tell you that there's a fucking one simple answer for it, but there isn't. The answer is you have to fucking work and get to put the time and, and, and the effort into it. And you can't just show up on game day. You can't show up on day zero and expect to fucking, you know, super max your APFT or run like a 30 minute uh, five mile without putting the time in to do so. Like, I love getting like we talk about good questions and this is where we talk about there being like absolutely dumb questions when you get guys that hit us up that essentially are asking us like what olympic lifting program slash strongman program can i do where i'm gonna eat like brian shaw and half bjornson to get ready for ranger school it's like i'm sorry i i can't remember is ranger school the you know the, the world's strongest man competition. Like it, there are so many books out there. There are so many assholes like us that, you know, are voicing their opinion and projecting it into a void. Everyone says the same thing though. Like you have to be good at body weight movements. That includes like calisthenics. That includes like being pretty fit when it comes to running and rocking. And you generally have to have grit. And if you're not challenging yourself physically to get better, when it comes to having to carry the 240 for six to eight miles in the middle of the night with nods on, when it comes to carrying the Skedco, climbing up the mountains and getting stuck in Dahlonega, oh. like that stuff's going to break you. Like it, it just starts with recognizing that you volunteered for this, recognizing that you're probably not as good as you think you are, but you're going to improve yourself. And at the end of the day, just picking something and going for it. Like, if you're training for ranger school, find a good ranger program, whether it's us, whether it's I probably Softly probably has one. I mean, there, there's probably a military athlete. Um, I I'm, I'm now blanking on some That's of the other the fitness companies. There, there's a million companies out there that have programs. Just pick one and do it. Like, it, yeah. they're not going to be that different other than maybe, maybe what their company goals are. But they're not going to be that different. They all want you to be successful because – the product at the end of the day has to stand up to the test. And if people aren't passing the RPFT, then you you change the product. But like, just pick a product, pick your goal, and then have some maturity and realize that, yeah, you're going to get thinner training for ranger school. You're going to be thinner coming out of ranger school. You don't have to go into ranger school looking like Callum Von Munger. You don't have to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger when you're dumping your bag. Because guess what? If you run slower than 40 minutes, you're fucking gone. And then you're going to be a slick sleeve tabless asshole that's making excuses yeah i think that's a that's a good point about bringing up the programs because like at the end of the day i think all programs are the same all programs if they're written for ranger school you're gonna get ready for ranger school but the thing is like 
the best program isn't the one that you pay the most money for or the one that's sexiest. The best program is the one that you follow and actually do the work. Like we can't, like we can't just, you can't just buy a program and say, oh, I'm gonna, I bought this program. I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna be physically ready for grade right. school. You still have to put it in like the literal, countless hours of sweat and pain that you need to put in in order to get yourself better to go to grade school. You know what I mean? I mean, for, for instance, too, like we have. We have a ton of free programs that not only we, op- we, we operate on a daily basis between the, the functional fitness and the military prep side, uh, but there are a ton of free programs on the website, namely the Ranger School program, the SFAS program, your iBullock, your squad PTs, and a couple functional fitness programs. If you're training for Ranger School and you're asking like, hey, if I follow the functional fitness program, is that going to get me there? Yeah, it could get you there. Uh, the SFAS one could get you there. The iBullock one could get you there. Um, if you want to get jacked and you're like, do I want to follow the ranger school prep one? It might get you there. It, it's not really designed to, but if you put a lot of effort in, you probably could get jacked, but you have to just realize that, you know, programs are named for what they're named for. The programs are designed for getting you generally fit and you're going to be very fit after doing them. But at the same time, they're also going to be somewhat tailored and you have to understand that like doing the operator program, for instance, might be cool. It has a lot of kit movement, but if you're going to ranger school, you don't need to be good in kit movement. You just need to be good with a ruck and body weight. So don't try to like pick sexy stuff just because it sounds cooler and has more barbell work. It's not really going to translate to what you want at the end of the day, you know, unless you really tailor exactly where you're going in life. Yeah. I'll even say that like, um, you can't also expect to like buy the program and just work out 12 weeks before starting at the ranger school and expect success. Like this is like, the the programs are are meant to be written for like people that are already probably at a pretty good level of passing the like passing already physically you can't expect to go from like little zero or like from running like a 15 minute two mile to being able to pass like rpft just by running the program so you have to have a little i would say have a little bit of self-awareness and understand that the programs are not like a golden magical solution to get you running like a 35 minute five mile no, absolutely. And so if, if you want, like, you're, you're sitting there listening to us going, man, these guys are jerks. I was going to get a program. Now I'm not. That's cool. But, you know, I'll give you like a, a, a window of time, for instance, if your five miles is, is where it needs to be starting a program for Ranger School and where you want to be in eight to 12 weeks. If you are not comfortably running a 40 minute flat five mile, like really at the start of that program, there's going to be a higher likelihood that you'll probably fail somewhere, I think, on the RPFT or in RAP week, simply because you're probably doing that in like peak conditions where you're totally prepared. The program might make you a minute, two minutes faster because you're not going to drop significant, you're not going to drop five minutes over the course of a couple months. That's just as an adult, you're not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to go from like a 50 minute five mile to a 43 or 44 minute five mile relatively quickly, but there's going to be a certain plateau that you're going to hit. But you're not staying up, you know, a couple days kind of straight. You don't have like all this stress and anxiety that's building when you're standing everywhere, waiting to go, running to get chow. You know, you're burning way more energy. You're, you're super nervous for that one event. You're literally standing for a couple hours before you even start the run. You're standing for like two hours just to get your push-ups done. Like you need to be probably comfortably running a, a, a 40 minutes or less for the ranger school 
But if you're at that 42 minute mark, 43 minute mark, your 12 week train up window is probably more realistically like a 15 or 16 week train up program where you should probably focus maybe on a, a running centric program that gets you comfortably to be able to sustain an eight minute pace for six to seven miles. And then you hit up the one that's going to include more rucking, more weightlifting, um, more you know lifting in general, so that your body's going to be taxed, but you can always hit that eight minute ranger standard. Yeah. Um, I think that's the big difference when you start these programs, and you know people just kind of having lofty expectations that you know if you're training up to be a Navy SEAL, oh, just because I followed you know SEAL fit for 16 weeks before I went to Buds, I'm going to be good during Hell Week, maybe. But you know, I guarantee you that's a that's a much lower uh, uh, success rate than the person that you know spent maybe a couple months training up their deficiencies before they start a program. And this the circle back comes back to the whole self analysis, self you know being honest with yourself and recognizing your true like levels and your capabilities because you know you can lie to yourself all you want, but like when game day hits, you know all that self-talk and all that all that bullshitting that you've been doing yourself is going to be you know prove successful for you yeah i can't tell you how many eye bullet guys you know over the course of we're 16 weeks there i think it might be longer now consistently we're running like 39 barely barely passing the five miler and then you go through rap week and like half of them are gone because you know they do their sit-ups now all of a sudden their core's taxed. They've been standing for two and a half hours and they're lining up on a start line. You know, for those of you that have been to Ranger School, you know you have like people that just take off like a bat out of hell on the start of that five miler. And they'll run that first mile in like 6.10, 6.15 and then die because everyone's just so jacked up. You've got 400 plus people running it. People are just like trying to get out ahead because they're so worried they're going to get behind some weird pace and and they're going to be dropped. But the problem is because they didn't know their pacing effectively and they couldn't like find that that like opportune level of stress to get ready that they're like, all right, I'm fine with getting passed by all these people. I know I just hit my seven minute pace. Like I know I'm going to hit 35 comfortably so that I'm not even at risk of getting dropped. You're not trying to get like a a spot report for finishing under 32 minutes like that really doesn't go anywhere unless you build up a lot of major minuses which which I had which it still didn't help me out to getting any like you know major pluses so again like Bobby said recognizing exactly what you want to do recognizing that you know you should build your you know on your uh, your flaws and make them better you know individually and then try to put the whole thing together yeah so like you can always lie to other people but you should never lie to yourself yeah um, I really have to piss, uh, so let's just start wrapping this one up. Yeah, man. Okay, himself. so before Bobby pisses himself, the Cronus Scholars Program uh, is up and live right now. This year we are giving out three uh, $1,000 scholarships. Uh, it's a real simple application. You, you just have to essentially send uh, you know, either your DD-214, a copy of your OER, NCOER, um, an application letter, uh, an acceptance letter, or excuse me, an acceptance letter. Um, if you're already enrolled in the program, like, you know, like just a first semester, like showing, hey, I was in the program, um, two brief letters saying like what you want to do with, uh, you know, your degree afterwards, if you want to benefit uh, veterans and like a picture of yourself in uniform, um, 
the scholarships can be used for anything. It can go towards your tuition and books. It can go towards your rent. It can go towards interview prep. You don't have to be going to get like an undergraduate graduate degree. If you're trying to go to like a technical school to be, you know, a, a welder, if you want to work on cars, the scholarship is literally for you. If you are a transitioning individual, if you're coming from Ranger Regiment, that's great. If you're coming from the regular Army or the National Guard, that's great. We just want an opportunity to give back to the community because Cronusfit has been so great to us over the last two years to provide for a lot of other uh, donations and programs that we've run that we just want to make sure that the guys that are getting out of the Army that have been following us for years are getting that uh, you know, in due course. And so sign up for this. If you have friends that are doing it, tell them to sign up. Um, you know, we're just, we want to try to give anything that we, we make here on the website back and, and get guys, uh, you know, to that next chapter and, ne- and next, uh, career. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it's obviously, you know, the goal of us is our, what we try to do is try to give back to you guys, whether it's through the podcast, through programming, <clears throat> at the end of the day, you guys are, you know, the ultimate focus of what we do. So, you know, apply for the scholarship. It's really not that hard. And I think that's probably a great, analogy to make that's like if you're not going to put it in an hour to apply for a thousand dollars like we probably can't help you that way anyways we're not going to help you that much anyways for you to get successful so just put the time yeah. in you know it's not and don't think you're taking away either like they're we'll, we'll make sure it goes to the right people so don't think if you're like you know don't, not deserving of it or aren't high speed enough or just apply and then you, ne- you, might, you never know you know yeah, yeah you just just put your stuff in We'll get back to you very quickly. Um, you know, we're not some like weird admission board that's like picky. We didn't have all rangers that were uh, our Cronus scholars last year. Not also, uh, you know, all males. So it's literally this is a we just want our veteran community to be better educated and to to help in that transition, especially with COVID right now. Um, you know, in families, whether you're transitioning and and you know the the cost of unemployment. Um, and, and that paycheck not coming in, literally the scholarship can be used for anything to help you get on to that next career path. So apply today. Um, lots of good opportunities to, to get some um, additional help for, for whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, we have more swag, like we mentioned already. We've got the cups on the store, some more stickers on the store. Um, hopefully everyone, it sounds like everybody that has hit us up about the shirts have, have enjoyed the shirts. Um, we have another design that I've been working on, so we'll probably get that start getting that set up and get that uh, up on the store pretty shortly. Super comfortable. Uh, and then with that, guys, <clears throat> we will catch you guys next time because I'm literally about to piss myself. I want to see it. Keep them on the line. It's like leak, Let's go. It's like leaking right now for my dick. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. All right. Peace. I'll see you later. Bye, Bobby.